I think this is a Netflix movie in the making. <laughs> what would the title be, Lily? La Portada Podcast with Simon Hunter and Lily Mayers. I'm not amazingly intelligent, but I'm not a stupid person. Your English is so good. Every time you think, well, this couldn't get any more bizarre and there couldn't be a, a weirder news story, they managed to excel themselves. <gasps> Was that Juan Carlos? Invita a Simon a una pinta de Guinness. I think we've sufficiently lowered the tone. Please <laughs> haven't found the wine. It's because you're better looking than me. ¿Listos? ¡Sí! ¡Vamos allá! Buenos días, buenas tardes y buenas noches whenever and wherever you are listening. You are most welcome back to La Portada, which is coming to you live on tape from Madrid for a third season. Third Lily! <laughs> my name is Simon Hunter. I'm a British journalist based in Madrid and I'm here with my co-host Lily Mayers, an Australian journalist also living in the Spanish capital. And we are here talking to you direct into your ears because we love Spain and we want to bring you the best stories, news and interviews from this fantastic country. We wade through all the Spanish news so that you don't have to, which is really quite a service. So, we are back after our two-week break. It's great to see you, Lily. How have you been? I've been good, thank you, Simon. Up to uh, lots of investigating for Sonda for on the next... Oh, remind us what Sonda is. <laughs> Sonda is a non-profit media organisation that does long-form investigations and visual... Uh, journalism on the climate crisis. Oh, nice. You've been busy, busy. And I'm pleased to say that Doily is back on the sofa. Bracing. Yeah, he's <laughs> taking his shoes and his socks off, though, which is... <laughs> I was very... I was pleased to have you back, Doily, until he's... you take your socks off. That's, uh, that's for the extra content. Oh, OK. <laughs> Spanter. He's famous for getting comfortable, but not falling asleep, which is <laughs> our bar. You're next to our magic blanket. That blanket next to you, if you put that over yourself, you will automatically fall asleep. That's why we call it the magic blanket. Uh, well, I have been very, very busy. Good week that we yeah. could... Yeah, it's a good job that we took those two weeks off because I actually don't think I could have no, <laughs> spared a moment for the podcast. Yeah, I had a, a very uh, long run of days with the Times. Did some um, very good, fun stories. I got my first piece in the Sunday Times, which I was very pleased Hello. about. It was about PK and Shakira breaking up. Uh, <laughs> I wrote a good piece about bullfighting. They love a bit of bullfighting in the Times. Um, the Toro Embolado, which is the one with the the bull the, with the fire on its horns. Oh, yeah, geez. that was that was a good story. Actually. God, way to make it even more. I know. Controversial. It was really shocking. And again, it was one of those ones where they the kind of the headline that they did was for this for the story was actually not really what the story was about. Um, but the, the headline that they chose was uh, something like you know Spanish Spanish crowd cheers as as bull's horns set on fire but actually you look at it and you kind of think well actually fair enough that is a really you know that is a pretty shocking part of the story and then this week i was on a panel for the british spanish society to talk about brexit which was yeah it was very but what, exciting what about brexit like well where it's going basically right. I mean, it's an interesting time because obviously we're now post pandemic and a, a lot of the you know the the pandemic had this effect of covering up the mm. uh, you know what was happening with 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 brexit and now we're seeing it's coming back into the you know yeah. public discourse and debate uh, it was a little daunting this panel because I was on there with Spanish journalist well Spanish journalist Ana Romero 
uh, was moderating. Then on the panel was Michael Reed, who's a senior editor at The Economist. Giles Tremlett, who we always, uh, who we all know from his work with The Guardian, but he's now um, full-time historian and an author. And Anna Bosch, who is um, a TVE correspondent. So it was a very esteemed panel. I felt mm. like this sort of little, uh, the little uh, upstart sitting Aww, on the. Nice. No, but it was good. Yeah, it was very interesting. It was a good chat. The the best bit was that this this guy called Richard, who's a representative of the British Conservative Party, uh, he got up at the start and made this most extraordinary speech, which I think had been, uh, uh, if not written by, but certainly approved by the Conservative Party, mm. and just told a, a room full of, I'm guessing, Brexit haters, just why Brexit was so great. Well, I was watching everyone's face and some of the faces were an absolute picture. Everyone was very polite about it afterwards, but I mean, he did, you know, he did get it in, with both barrels from... Um, from someone in the audience at the end just saying to have to sit here and listen to that rubbish which oh, <laughs> is very funny <laughs> it was great anyway moving on as usual let's start with a massive thank you to our supporters on Patreon yes. we really appreciate your support if you are not already a su- subscriber and seriously why wouldn't you be head to patreon.com forward slash la portada pod and invite us to a relaxing cup of cafe con leche in Plaza Mayor that's all we ask that we can keep the podcast going long term as a Patreon supporter you'll get the podcast on Fridays as soon as we finish editing it instead of on Sundays and of course you'll get our bonus content which we like to call Spanta this week in our Spanta section we'll be looking at the best mistakes people have made in a second language including many confusions Mm. of cajones with cojones (laughs) and lots of problems ordering ice cream cones in Spanish but before you rush to listen to that this week we will be we will be discussing the qatar world cup a new podcast about king juan carlos the first and his erstwhile lover karina larson and to kick off our episode we're going to take a look at spain's only yes means yes law and the massive political fallout that it has caused So, Lily, tell us about the yes means yes law. Well, CSC is how it's known in Spain. The law came into force last month. It made sexual consent or lack of it a key determinant in assault cases. And it also revised the range of potential minimum and maximum prison terms. It's designed to toughen penalties for sex crimes, but the law has also inadvertently made it possible for some convicted people to have their sentences reduced on appeal. Last week, Spanish judges reduced the sentences in at least 15 cases. Simon, how are they applying this law and why is it surprising those who helped create it? Yeah, so just to, to, to start by just a slight clarification there um, with what you said, Lily, the new law is designed to make, to give tougher sentences to the more serious crimes. Um, but what it has done is it, it has actually lowered the uh, minimum sentences for some offences when there's no aggravating circumstances. So that 
combined with the fact that under Spanish law, you can retroactively apply reduced sentences to people who have already been convicted of a crime. That is what's causing um, these reductions. Um, of the cases that you mentioned, the, one, the ones in Madrid seems to have, uh, seems to, seem to have caused the, the biggest stink. There was the man who abused his stepdaughter. He saw two years taken off his sentence because he was considered not to have taken advantage of his superiority bizarrely because he was the stepfather not the father uh, there was also the re these reports about an english teacher who'd actually been freed from jail because he argued that he had the consent of the 16 to 18 year old students that he was paying for sexual favors that was his argument in court i'm not sure about that one though because i've seen that in some newspapers i've not seen it in perhaps the more trustworthy newspapers i'm thinking about el pais so i'm not entirely sure about that one i certainly haven't been able to independently um, verify that story um, but also uh, what we have to point out is that for some reason this law did not include a transitory measure um, that, that uh, similar laws would normally include whereby um, the sentence would not be reduced providing it was still within the minimum and maximum range of the new terms established and um, and it just seems to have been a mistake an oversight no mm. one seems to have been uh, to have picked it up obviously the legislation went through lots of filters it went via the what it came mm. from the equality ministry which is run by unidas podemos it was approved by the cabinet approved by parliament uh, it was also examined by the legal watchdog the cgpj the cgpj apparently did warn that there was a risk that this might happen but the ministry insisted that it it wouldn't mm. um what's going to happen now is of course at some point judges and it will eventually these cases will go to the supreme court and they will establish the jurisprudence for the application of these new points um contained now within the criminal code thanks to this law and earlier this week the public prosecutor or all basically all public prosecutors in the country were instructed by the state attorney to oppose all sentence reductions when the original sentence is within that new range so at least the public prosecutor is going to be um you know on the side of the victims in inverted mm. commas because let's not forget the whole idea of this law this this law came from the uh, infamous running of the bulls rape case in 2016 which was obviously very much based on consent and the whole idea of the law was to put consent at the heart of the um of, of the uh, of the new legislation um uh, but they seem to have dropped the ball when it comes to the actual sentencing. Um, probably the worst bit of news for the um, Spanish government is that the lawyer for one member of the wolf pack from the actual you know, running of the bulls rape case, uh, he's actually talking about trying to get a lower sentence for one of the members of the wolf pack. He's the only one that wasn't involved and convicted for a separate sexual abuse mm. case um, because he happened not to be there when that one happened. And so, I mean, that would just be the worst nightmare, wouldn't it? That you see one just... member of the wolf pack get his um, sentence reduced. One of those examples where the law as it's written, doesn't always follow common sense. I mean, if, if lawyers find a loophole, they're going to run with it. And the judges really don't have any choice but to go with the law, even if it defies the yeah, purpose common sense, of that Yeah, law. the purpose of the law. And it's been the, 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 the response of the uh, Equality Ministry and in particular the minister herself, Irene Montero, 
of Unidas Podemos has been to attack the judges, um, to say that the judges are sexist and there's nothing wrong with the law and they're just not applying it properly, which is a real failure to sort of, you know, take a... Responsibility. Yeah, take a, admit responsibility, look at the law. Uh, the judges have responded calling uh, Montero infantile and absurd. And it also kind of risked a bit more division within the coalition. Um, in previous episodes, we've talked about the trans law, which seems to have divided um, the Socialist Party, which is obviously the senior partner in Spain's government, and Unidas Podemos. And this seems to be a bit of a repeat of that. I mean, initially... Um, ministers from the Socialist Party, from the PSOE, they came out to say that the law needed looking at. Um, but it's been very interesting to see Pedro Sanchez, the Prime Minister's reaction, because he's been a lot more diplomatic. And that's probably saved uh, Irene Montero's job um, for now. Mm. He was re- he was still really kind of saying, no, no, this is an amazing law. It's a groundbreaking law. And other countries are going to follow in our, in our wake with this law. Um, and he has said, let's wait and see how it, you know the courts deal with it what happens when it goes to the supreme court and once the sort of the approach of the courts has been unified either by you know by jurisprudence or by um uh, or or by what the uh, the supreme the supreme court says um and now that brings us to the fallout um, from this law, which has been more shenanigans in Congress this week. Have you been um, keeping an eye on this, Lily? Yeah, well, following Montero's harsh words for Spanish judges, it seemed like it was then her turn to be insulted. But this time, as we've gone through before, this isn't the first time she's been insulted in Congress, but this time the sexist slurs hurled at her escalated to extreme levels that even the right side of the parliament agreed went over the line. Among the insults that were hurled at her this week was that she was destroying human nature under the banners of freedom and equality to to build a world of alienated people, that she was criminalising men and violating their presumption of innocence, that she was a liberator of rapists... And possibly the most egregious of the comments was what far-right deputy Carla Toscano had to say. Y aquí tengo que hacer una parada obligada, señora ministra, libertadora de violadores. Hay que tenerla de cemento armado para insultar a profesionales que se han pasado años de su vida estudiando derecho y una oposición cuando el único mérito que tiene usted es haber estudiado en profundidad a Pablo Iglesias. Yeah, the full quote from Carla Toscano from Vox was you have to have a lot of gall to insult professionals who spent years of their lives studying law when the only thing you've managed is a thorough study of Pablo Iglesias. So she, of course, was referring to um, uh, Montero's partner, who is, as we know, the co-founder of Podemos. He's the, he's the former um, deputy prime minister of Spain. He's now retired from politics and is a sort of professional media agitator. <laughs> but yeah, that was a really, I mean, that was a really low blow, and really pretty disgusting. Um, there were cries of shame from the left in uh, the Congress when uh, those comments were made. And a very strong response from Montero, who was actually pretty tearful. She she got up and made this um, speech. Quiero solicitar que se incorpore al diario de sesiones la violencia política para que todo el mundo pueda recordar la violencia política y a quienes la ejercen. Y también para que se pueda saber que las feministas y las demócratas somos más y les vamos a parar los pies a esta banda de fascistas. She was there. What she was doing was calling for those comments to be kept in the parliamentary record um, because, you know, she was saying it needs to stay in the parliamentary record so you can see this, you know, Political this, violence. Yeah, political violence. Um, and 
the PP at the time in the Congress kept quiet. One of the politicians from the PP did come out to defend uh, Irene Montero. That was uh, Cuca Gamarra. Um, she did sort of say, you know, this is this is kind of intolerable. And uh, this and it, it kind of did backfire on Vox a bit, really, because you know Montero, after having yeah. been the sort of a target of all these attacks for you know having kind of messed up this law and also for her comments about the judges, yeah. kind of came out of it as the victim. She even got a surprising defence from Ana Rosa, the journalist on Telecinco, uh, who is almost you know like a far right commentator these days on her program. Um, her, her regular guest on that show is our old friend Eduardo Inda from <laughs> OK Diario. Yep. Um, Montero subsequently told the radio station Cadena Ser that she was concerned about the level of political violence that Spain has been seeing in recent times, as you said, uh, Lily. Um, but Vox doubled down on Thursday. I mean, and let's not forget this. This was all in a debate about mm. the budget, by the way. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we're talking yeah. about this in the context of a debate about the budget. For some reason, you know, they, the, the, Vox decided instead of talking about the budget, they were going to attack Irene Montero. And then they came out on Thursday and said, we are morally superior yes, to you. That was from did. Vox deputy Onofre Miralles. Um, he repeated it twice in a, <laughs> yes, like a statement. You're right. If they had just sat quietly, we would still be... Um, criticizing Montero for her comments against the judges <laughs> exactly. and her lack of over, like the oversight of the law. No, but because now I, everyone's backing her. Exactly. Well, that's what I said on Twitter. I mean, whatever you think about Irene Montero, I mean, it really was, yeah, it really was pretty disgusting. Uh, there was more outside of Congress as well. A city councillor for um, citizens, Theodanos, the centre right party, um, she accused the Spanish left of um, devoting themselves to allowing rapists back on the streets and said that Montero has got. Where she is because of being impregnated by an mm. alpha male, which is a refer that's a reference to an infamous comment that uh, Iglesias he called himself an al uh, macho alpha uh, in leaked uh, WhatsApp messages. That was a, a city councillor called Carmen uh, Errarte, a high-ranking member of Ciudadanos, did at least distance uh, the party from those yeah. um, from those comments. But I mean, you know, this is just the end of a long line of insults in Congress. Um, the former PP leader, Pablo Casado, he once stood up in the chamber and called Pedro Sanchez a traitor, a squatter, a villain, uh, a catastrophe and a compulsive liar. You know, and Montero was there calling Vox fascists, you know, yeah. in response. Uh, and that is a word that um, uh, Unidas Podemos does like to bandy about. You know, Vox in the past has, has compared Sanchez to Hitler. This stuff is just, it just seems to be the sort of bread and butter of the Congress. And it is, it's just so, oh, mm. I'm never, I don't it's think It's a waste I'm never, of time. It's no, it is. It's ridiculous. It's just such a low level of debate. And, you know, used to be the people, People, you know, when we had a two-party system, it was normally the PP. I, I remember, you know, the TV was always on in the background in in uh, in El País, and I remember, you know, sort of around 2006, 2007, and you just hear Rajoy standing up and you know insulting Zapatero, and it's just like, oh, can we just have a proper debate rather than you know rolling around in the mud? It's pretty depressing. What do you think, given that it was this all unfolded during a debate about the budget? What do you think about <laughs> the speaker? Not not pulling them into line saying this is off topic this is not serving anyone no well the speaker did at least you know try and call for some decorum uh and say you know well if we expect the rest of society to respect each other then you know we have to mm. set an example by um respecting one another but what it has done is completely distracted from the you know no, it's no mean feat yeah. to have got the budget passed the budget has actually passed but all anyone's been talking about for the last couple of days is, is this um 
is this row this budget has passed with 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 the support mm. of a lot of other parties i mean yeah, pretty healthy much with, majority yeah exactly with with pretty much uh, uh, all of the parties except for the pp vox and theodoranos and so that has been pretty much glossed over but no doubt we will have more of these rows to come So let's move on to our second story. As you won't have failed to notice, the Qatar 2022 World Cup is well underway and it continues to be a controversial tournament. As if the human rights concerns about the Middle Eastern country and the death toll among migrant workers from the construction of the stadiums weren't bad enough, we've also had a last-minute beer ban by the Qatari authorities at mm. the Games and Spanish fans have added their voices to the complaints about the accommodation. They are prefab boxy rooms with insufficient air conditioning. But what about the actual sports side? <laughs> By the way, I'm still not sure about our football music, Lily. <laughs> we can find some others. No, no, no. Do you like I don't know. Do you like do you it? Do I was just listening to it in my head actually. <laughs> Well, it was an amazing start for Spain. They absolutely thrashed Costa Rica 7-0. Uh, one of their players, Gavi, became the youngest scorer at the age of 18 since Pele in 1958. I'm very pleased to say that our beloved former popular party Prime Minister Mariano Rajoy has uh, added a new string to his bow and he is now debuting uh, as a sports writer. I don't know. Have you seen oh, this, Lily? Oh, no, yeah. I haven't. As, uh, <laughs> Fell Ellen... under my radar. No, absolutely. Well, blink and you will have missed it because <laughs> his first article about the game the other day against Costa Rica came in at a whopping 136 words. That is two paragraphs. Uh, and it was, it, it was... That's tight. That's a radio it was, bulletin. It was amazing. I mean, he, he um, 4%, I did a calculation, 4% of the words... Uh, were Germany. <laughs> How did you have, have time to do well, this? Because he says, and this is just this, we did these Rajoyisms in one of our uh, podcast extras, but this is just mm. classic Rajoy. Mm -hmm. Talking about the um, overwhelming win uh, by Spain uh, of course, over Costa Rica, he said, there will be people who say, well, Costa Rica is Costa Rica. Yes, but Saudi Arabia and Japan were Saudi Arabia and Japan, and they were able to beat Argentina and Germany. And then in the next paragraph, he says, just one word, watch out. The next game is Germany, and Germany is Germany, <laughs> who used to win always before, and today nearly always. What? Uh, have you ever seen um, Parks and Recreation? I have. You know, there's the TV reporter Purd. Right. And he's it's like, and that is that the news, bad. and that is the news. So stuff like that. <laughs> That's, he reminds me brilliant. of it. So I'll be looking out for more of those columns because at least they're very, very quick to read. Um, so will Spain win? Let's hope so. I mean, it was an amazing time. You weren't here, Lily, but the years from 2008 to 2012 when Spain won two European championships and the World Cup. When they won the World Cup, it was just extraordinary. It was mm. just such a good feeling. Mm. Really unifying. It does make a massive difference. I mean, even just moving here to Europe, I've noticed the difference. I never followed football or soccer before, but living here, you can't 
help but get sort of swept up in it. And it's really joyful yeah, watching no, absolutely. it and no, barracking and, for a team. And of course, 2008 to 2012 was a time of, you know, the Great Recession. It wasn't mm. a time when much um, good stuff was going on uh, in Spain. Apart from the football, it was absolutely fantastic. But, but poor old Manolo uh, El Del Bombo, Manolo the drummer. Tell mm. us, Lily, what's happened to him? Well, <laughs> Manolo El Del Bomo, the one with the drum, whose real name is actually Manuel Cáceres Artesero. <laughs> That's easy for you to say. <laughs> he's a 73-year-old Spanish superfan, for those who aren't familiar. He's been a dedicated fixture at games for decades. He's become so well-known that there's profiles written about him. He travels with the team. He People stop to have photos with him at the games. Um, he carries a huge brass drum. <laughs> he wears the national team tracksuit and a big beret. He's beloved. And, and the team have really embraced him as you know, one of their mascots, really. Um, he says his dream is to be the only person in the world to be present in 10 World Cups in a row. But despite the Spanish Football Federation buying his plane ticket to Doha, he can't be there to cheer Spain on because he hasn't been able to book a hotel room. Yeah, it's this accommodation problem again. He already missed Spain beat Costa Rica, but the Football Federation says if Spain gets to the semi-final, they'll give him a ticket and they'll pay for his hotel room. <laughs> yeah, so let's hope he gets out there. I mean, it's, you know, on, on previous form and on the basis of that first game, uh, let's hope that Spain do go far. Um, that wasn't he- the only controversy this week though which was the other one well the the spanish king decided to join the spectators didn't he yeah this is true yeah and it gave podemos a good chance as they like to do to bash the king and say you know he shouldn't have gone he's he's actually the only european monarch to have gone out for the group stages and yeah that did uh that did cause a bit of a fuss he didn't take the queen with him the (laughs) the queen has stayed home uh i don't know what the i don't know what the kind of reception is i guess if you're a, a royal female you'll probably get a good reception in qatar um but also the other thing that i thought you were going to say the thing about the ham on did you see the thing about the ham <laughs> all right so because of the restrictions in qatar you can't import pork products nor right. consume them uh there was a line in a story from el pais the other day which uh, i pitched to the times i mean it was literally just a line and the times were like oh yeah we'll have that please and that's the, the spanish team couldn't take any ham on with them and there dun, was dun, I was really kind of enjoying speculating what this was going to, you know, how this was going to affect their performance. Uh, and the headline for my story in the Times was Spain's footballers go cold turkey in oh, Qatar World, Ta- nice. World Cup ham ban, which was, was brilliant. They <laughs> World th- Cup ham ban. They took three tons of materials and equipment with them to Qatar, uh, including this scaffolding, which the coach Luis Enrique likes to have built uh, by the side of the pitch for training sessions. Mm-hmm. He can stand up on this scaffolding. But... They didn't this time. They they would normally take their food with them, but they didn't take any food with them. So this gave me a chance to kind of go and have a look at some stats. Spaniards spent 1.5 billion euros on nearly uh, uh, 100,000 tons of cured hams in 2020. Jeez. Yeah, and another 1.5 billion on 145,000 tons of other cured pork products such as chorizo. Uh, also, Luis Enrique has decided that he ha- is going to become a streamer. He has opened up his own channel on Twitch and he is streaming and talking directly to the fans, uh, which is, is really interesting and it's been really popular so far. He's got more than uh, 100 
250,000 um, viewers on some of his uh, streams so far uh, and more than 4,000 subscribers. But it um, kind of seems to have raised the hackles of the traditional press. He's, he's a bit, Enrique's a bit prickly with the press. I think he's probably just one of those you know, public figures is just a bit tired of asking, you know, the same, the same question. question. Yeah, yeah, or, you know, getting a bad treatment from the press. So he's sort of cutting out the middleman mm-hmm. and going straight to the um, fans. Um, but yeah, it's, it's cause Well, no, it is. It's a good yeah. idea, but the, the, the press are not happy. <laughs> but uh, it's great. It's You know, you're getting direct from the horse's mouth exactly, you know, what's been going on. And a good, um, a good source of information. No mention yet, though, as to whether the lack of ham is having effect. And you don't have the cholesterol figures... <laughs> no, but I can tell you that mine is through the roof. <laughs> well, this month a new podcast has been released, Karina and the King, covering Spain's most salacious news story, the affair and subsequent court battle of the former King Juan Carlos and his mistress, Karina Zusain Wittgenstein, also known as Karina Larson, but let's just... <laughs> Call her Karina. <laughs> the podcast claims to be a story about a dangerous love affair, a corrupt royal family, and the extent to which powerful people will go to hide the truth. And it's not just rehashing the facts. The lead storyteller is Karina herself, and she's armed with new allegations about the king and his allegedly corrupt behaviour. Simon, what have you listened to it? What are your thoughts so far? Oh, I've been all over this because one of the stories that the Times is always guaranteed to take is anything to do with Juan Carlos. Uh, so, yeah, they've been very interested in this podcast. I've been in touch with the producers. They've been um, giving me the episodes ahead of uh, release um, to get stories ready. And, yeah, it's it's pretty fascinating. I mean, this comes on the back of this year. We had the HBO docu- documentary uh, called Saving the King, which laid bare not just uh, Juan Carlos's dodgy financial dealings, but also um, the affairs. You're right about, you know, it, um, when I do these stories uh, for The Times, invariably, Karina's lawyers get in touch if there's anything wrong with them and I actually had a Zoom meeting with them just just recently yeah just to have a a chat because if there's anything in there they they don't like um, they're very quick to get in touch and one of the things that they don't like is uh, when Karina is referred to as Karina Larson because Mm. that is her name or that was her maiden name anyway but she still uses her former married name which is as you said Lily is actually you missed off another sign it's Karina Zuz sign Wittgenstein sign but it's just I mean how are you going to write a new story exactly how are you going to write a new story and 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 use that every time every time you refer to her so yeah we shall be calling her Karina or Larson for the purpose of this podcast not not for lack of respect but for a time <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. no so she called this uh she called this uh podcast uh, a shakespearean story about power money and sex it's very one-sided obviously yes. because you know the royal family are not going to respond and i don't think the queen uh, sorry i don't think king juan carlos has ever even you know acknowledged word. yeah exactly <laughs> acknowledged the existence although of course we did find out that she was on that trip when he famously broke his hip on that 2012 yeah. um, safari. And that was when it all came to light that she'd been there. Although ironically, she wasn't actually with him at that point. They'd broken up by that point. They were, they were on a break. They did subsequently, subsequently get back together. Um, and we have to sort of question, you know, whether she's a completely reliable narrator, because in the, in the actual podcast, her ex-husband uh, just comes out and says that, you know, basically she's a liar by the way 
Philip Adkins, who hasn't spoken to Karina in years, refused to be interviewed. But he said her statements related to him are, quote, almost in their entirety untrue. So we just have to sort of take her take her word for the stories. But I mean, it's cracking stuff. Yeah, right? I, mean, I think if you go into it knowing that, it's very one-sided. You're still getting her insights, which are interesting. I mean, whether it's her opinion or whether it's fact, it's sort of beside the point because it's her take. Uh, I think the production quality is fantastic. It's very, think very like NPR, high production value, great music. They've got a music team that have paced and done sound effects through the whole thing. My only critique in terms of production is the tone of the host, who I feel has taken great inspiration from the Gossip Girl series, which maybe some of our viewers, uh, some of our listeners aren't familiar with, but it was a sort of early 2000s teen drama hit where the narrator would leave every episode with like with friends like this who needs enemies it's a bit patronizing you know but it's sing-songy that the tone it feels like every episode is just so full of those lines of like but that's not what ended up happening to the king wait till you see what happens next yeah yeah so that that does get a bit boring but it's very gripping and i sped through all the available episodes and I'm eagerly awaiting the new ones. So it's working. Yeah. I mean, my, my best bits were that was the bags of money line, which got picked up all over um, in the press all over the world. I would see him coming back from trips and he'd be happy as a five-year-old and there'd be bags full of cash and, and you go, oh my God, what's that? And it's like, oh, this is from my friend so-and-so and this is from my friend so-and-so. Also the story about Queen Sophia angrily confronting Larsen in the in the Zarzuela yeah, Palace. Yeah, uh, yeah. Basically, uh, Larsen thought that she wasn't going to be there and all of a sudden Queen Sophia, who, who always comes across as such a sort of kindly grandma. Mm. <laughs> Larsen, Larsen p- paints a picture of quite, you know, quite a fierce woman and certainly someone who, who was actually, you know, willing to protect her uh, or her marriage or her reputation, even though it was a, you know, a marriage for show, as we yeah. as we all know. Uh, and then, of course, there are the affairs. the The moment where the king casually mentions that he's been seeing someone else to Larson, while Larson had been for eight months attending to her father on his deathbed, is pretty extraordinary. And then the, the, I, I also like the episode about the hunting trip because it basically really reveals that the king had broken his hip while he was pissed, yeah, <laughs> while he was drunk. And then when they were flying him back, you know, with a broken hip, and he's probably been given meds and all sorts of stuff he's he started oh, yes. he asked for wine he was like no bring me wine and then Larson's, you know uh, talks about how how he was behaving oh yeah it's unbelievable and just how the other half lives in terms of the wealth and well if the you've got bags and... of cash or, yeah you know then, then you can afford to can't you but it, yeah. it doesn't not only does it you know it's more damage for the disgraced emeritus king juan carlos i think we can safely call him that but it's also it doesn't do spain uh, any favors does it it, it kind of no. paints a picture of this monarch who's completely out of control you know it, it touches on the fa- fact that the press was turning yeah. a complete blind eye to his antics because of and the goodwill of course, like the, the country forgave so much even though a lot of these secrets were open secrets yeah and state machinery that uh, you know swung into action to uh, to protect him and i think there's probably worse to come in in the episode that's going to drop on monday which is episode five mm. uh it, it, she talks about spain she's says oh it's like spain it's such a nice country go on holiday there we'll have some tapas it's almost more dangerous because people are completely unaware says karina so yeah Mm. i'm looking forward to hearing that there was some controversy about the timing because it was released 
um, just on the week of the appeals hearing uh, in the That's High right. Court case, um, because Larson, as we've talked about before, has filed a civil case against Juan Carlos for allegedly harassing her and threatening her via Spain's National Inte- Intelligence Agency after they broke up. Also pressuring her to return gifts worth 65 yeah, well, million euros, no, if you don't it, mind. Well, yeah, it wasn't a gift worth it. It was <laughs> 65 million euros. Um, but I talked to the um, executive producer, Bradley Hope, about that, and he just said, no, it was just a complete coincidence. You know, he hadn't even been taking much notice of the... Um, of the trial and they just wanted to get it out before Christmas. I also spoke to, um, when I spoke to Karina Larson's lawyers, they were keen to point out that this isn't Larson's podcast. I mean, it was, you know, it's a podcast in which he participated in, but it's not her podcast because that's the thing, the elements of the conservative press um, in Spain have been out to demonize uh, Karina Larson, you know, pretty much as, you know, as soon as, it was out there that she was, you know, had had an affair with the, um, with the king or the emeritus king, and that certainly seems to be um, continuing. If you read the comment pages in certain mm. right wing um, newspapers, um, so yeah. So whatever the case, um, the release of the podcast is just another in a long line of embarrassments for the exiled emeritus king. But if you speak to a party like Podemos, uh, they will probably tell you that. Juan Carlos has for a very long time been something of a sinvergüenza. Well, unless you are a Patreon subscriber, you lucky thing, and you've got some extra content to look forward to, all that is left now this week is a news roundup from Lily. Well, firstly, to the ongoing UK driver's license debacle, it looks like there's finally movement here. Since May, Spanish residents who hold UK driver's licenses haven't been able to legally drive because of a failure to reach a post-Brexit agreement. Well, now the British ambassador, Hugh Elliott, says the last two outstanding issues have been resolved and the final legal checks and approvals are now taking place. Once that process has been completed, drivers can then legally get back on the road and will have six months to exchange their licenses. Much of Catalonia is now under new water-saving measures from this week as drought sends the region's reservoirs to worryingly low levels. There will be a ban on using drinking water to wash the outside of houses and cars or filling up swimming pools. Over summer, Sevilla also introduced new water-saving rules. The European Space Agency has chosen two Spaniards among more than 22,000 candidates to be part of their new 17-person astronaut class. It's the first time Spaniards have been included in the team in 30 years. Pablo Alvarez, who is an aeronautical engineer, and Sara Garcia, who is a researcher, will form part of future missions to the Moon and eventually to Mars. (music) 
All right, well, let's wrap it up there. This has been episode one of season three. Three <laughs> Your hosts were Lily Mayers and me, Simon Hunter, and this episode was recorded on November the 25th in the city of Madrid. Don't forget to get in touch. Our socials are at LaPortadaPod and our email is LaPortadaPod at gmail.com and we love hearing from you. You can also tweet us directly at Simon in Madrid and at Lily Mayers. Please support us on Patreon if you haven't already. Alan Jones, I'm talking to you. Oh, shit. You'll get the episode two days early and you'll be able to enjoy our bonus content. This week we will be looking at all your most embarrassing mistakes in another language, such as the man who ordered a vino tonto in a Spanish bar and the English dad who asked his secretary, ¿Te embarazo? <laughs> so head to patreon.com forward slash la portada and invite us to a relaxing cup of café con leche in Plaza Mayor. Hasta la semana que viene. Hasta luego. Hasta luego.